This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. And you're joining us for Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, Chris, we got a fun one today. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited. <laughs> There's a... Uh, it's a lot of information. There it's, some <laughs> sticky, it's some sticky information, to say do, the least. Do you know, usually when we do the, these more kind of educational content episodes, uh, we try to like break it down into really simple terms. I think we had some fun this time. We, we're going to bring on uh, one of our friends and coworkers, Tim Mahoney, who's uh, head of R&D over here at Duramax Tuner. He's been really involved with some of the 50-state um, legal status and yep. testing uh, that we've now gotten on uh, our EFI Live state tuning. certification. Yeah. Yep. So, so really, really excited to have that. Um, thought he'd be a good resource. He also just got back from PRI. Yeah, right. Uh, it's fresh in his mind, right? <laughs> so at PRI, they, they had done a, another, um, this time uh, it sounds like kind of a, a conference or, or yeah. lecture around the RPM Act. So we thought, what a better time to jump in and talk all I mean, about the it, RPM Act. It's funny, you know, you, you go scroll through Facebook every so often, you know, and you get these spells of certain companies and certain individuals promoting the RPM Act and inviting people to fill it out, sign up and all these things. Yeah. And me as being part of the industry, like I didn't really know what that all entailed. Like I know SEMA, I know CARB, I know all these things. And now you have this RPM Act and this is going to save the race cars, right? <laughs> so it's just it's interesting to get more in depth with that and understand the nitty gritty of what the RPM Act is, where it started, and um, you know what the interpretation is That's of right. that is the big thing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. What does it mean? Who is it for? Who's it going to help? What does it? What does it include? What does it not include? Yeah. Uh, and hey, we're not lawyers. Although I think on one, I think I have it on recording that I'm currently your legal counsel. Um, but but at any rate, um, I'm going to be doing some time. <laughs> <laughs> um, if passed, who who will this help? That, right. That's like our biggest question. So so we'll have on Tim to talk about that. Of course, we'll be checking in with our remote support expert, Sean Lynn, our super tech, Jeremy Garnett. And I believe we're also going to hear from our diesel industry news specialist, Anthony Brunetti, a little bit later in Anthony's the show. Anthony's a well. specialist. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for now, uh, let's kick it over to the conversation you, Tim, and I had yep. about the RPM Act. All right, guys, uh, we're here to talk about the RPM Act today. We're joined by Tim Mahoney. Tim, how the hell are you? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris, this is going to be an exciting one to talk about something that I think you and I both come in not knowing a ton about this. Going over the show's outline, Paul, it's one of those things <laughs> we're familiar with SEMA and CARB and 50 State and EO and all these things, right? And then here's the RPM Act. And uh, the RPM Act is becoming more and more of a phrase that guys are using and throwing around and trying to get past, uh, this bill passed more or less. Yeah, I see a lot of shares on Facebook. I do too. I do save, too. Uh, save our race cars is save our, our race biggest cars. hashtag, I think. And uh, there's, there is so much interpretation, right? The way you read something, the way I read something, we can interpret that a certain way but then you have hundreds and millions of other people right that are in this performance industry this isn't just diesel right, right. there's gas engines included and uh, there's a wide scope of of how this bill is being interpreted and uh, you know you get lost in the process yeah I I thought it was pretty crazy diving into it uh, just the one the history of it I never yeah. The last time I think I learned about how a bill becomes a law was in, was high school? in a cartoon. High school. I oh, was like, thinking, like, like no, I was thinking high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking government in high school, I which I barely passed. I didn't know the. Uh, I didn't know the RPM Act actually dated back to 15. I had it pegged for more of like 17, 18 era. Gotcha, as gotcha. for me, that was like 
when the the H and S lawsuits of the yeah, world and yeah, like yeah. that stuff kind of already had taken place. But 2015 was the original draft, right, Paul? Yeah. Tw- well, 2015 is I know for sure when the EPA came out. That's what started all this. The EPA came out and drafted a provision on some of the details of the Clean Air Act, saying that they were going to interpret any vehicle manufactured to be on the road and plated to be on the road is always intended to be on the road. Therefore, you could not convert your personal car into a dedicated competition-only vehicle. So they were eliminating that entire sector of of American culture. And that's where that original assumption where don't take our race cars, this and that, originally came from. And it makes sense, right? Because that, that was what the unintended consequence was of what they were saying was that if you modify anything, it's likely going to be illegal. Uh, And and that's, nobody had ever really, I think, wrapped their heads around a Clean Air Act is like from 1970. Right, yeah. So it's like 45 years it goes by with no problems, right? People are racing, people are building race cars, people are like understand competition vehicles, people understand that like, well, before any of the EPA stuff, there's still other things that you could do to your vehicle that makes them not street legal anymore. We've all been there, Tim. White oh, wheels, yeah. tinted windows, <laughs> just name a couple. Yeah, five-point harnesses, right? It's like, yeah. like none of that. You're not allowed to drive on the street with any of that stuff. So we all understood there There are some things that we all agree are not a good idea to be on a right. daily driven road vehicle that are totally okay to be on a racetrack, yeah. right? Um, but then this came out in 15. There's a huge outcry from the public. It's something like crazy. Like I think the current petition is up to like 1.5 million signatures. Yeah. Wow. That's... <laughs> That's a lot of people that were willing to go online and sign something. I'm just saying, just for anything else, That's you get 1.5 million people to agree online about something. Right. That's right. a swing. You know? But like you said, Paul, it's it's, it's uh, people's heritage, right? Their family yeah. family upcomings and, and stuff like that that they think or they, they want to believe that the uh, the government or the EPA is trying to take that away from them, those experiences with their family. So that's, that's I right. think that's where the outcry really comes in. Yeah, no, it, it's justified. I mean, I mean, none of us wanted to see all all amateur automotive competition be wiped off the map. No. Right? No. That's not, nobody, nobody was rooting for that. Um, at least nobody that I've ever met. No. <laughs> like, so... So 2016, 2015, somewhere it's drafted. I know for sure uh, it actually went in. It was the submitted, I believe, in 2016, the original draft of the RPM Act. Uh, it's 2017 is what it was called. So I think that's like the official Congress when they went into like okay. the time they went into okay. Congress. Uh, it was 2017. Uh, it basically the RPM Act is very short. Uh, if you Google or if you Google like the original 2017 RPM Act. It's three pages in a PDF, but it like could be if you copy. Well, the header's half a page. It is. No, seriously, the amount of co-sponsors was half a page. Um, So like it's maybe two, three paragraphs worth of reading. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's a long one to get through. Uh, And it it basically has some very simple findings. Congress never intended for the EPA to enforce laws against competition-only vehicles. Like that. That's the first finding of the original RPM Act. Is like. This has never been, and they have a bunch of like backup to show that this right. this was not the intention of Congress. It even calls out like in 1990, the Congress went through and approved like definitions of uh, non-road vehicles, and they explicitly excluded solely used for competition from their non-road vehicles definition because they're different things. Right. So like, you have to understand a non-road vehicle still has to adhere to EPA standards. That's why tractors have emissions equipment, yep. okay. right? 
Um, farm vehicles, all that stuff, right? Vehicles. Like the biggest thing people call in here, like, oh, it's a farm truck. Like, right. sorry, <laughs> we, we, st we still can't delete your truck, sir. I understand you'll never get caught, but I might get caught, yeah. and that's a problem. That's problematic. Um, well, then so, you, get in, you get into that other loophole of like that farm vehicle might not actually be tested where right. an on-road vehicle is tested. Yeah. So that's their loophole, not necessarily the company's loophole. Exactly. And, and, and that's one of those that proves like, oh, I live in a county that doesn't do emissions testing, right. but I live in a state that has emissions laws. Right. I live in a country that has emissions right. laws. You might be able to get away with it. Nobody's arguing that. Yeah. But, you know, it's different when you're a, a national brand, right? Supplying oh. or a manufacturer of something. I always like to tell guys, too, you know, you could be like, I'm, I live in a county, you know, where I'm at. There's no testing on gas or diesel. Yeah. But what happens when I go into that next county that is? <laughs> Just because you live in a certain county and it's legal, not legal there, doesn't mean that when you go into that other county that you're no longer, you know, <laughs> well, that, that's the, safe. Yeah, that's you know? the scary stuff we've heard about, like on-road testing. Yeah. Is like, uh, like. Side of the road, pulled over, just like way scales for trucks, right? Yeah, it's Canada, like, man. That's that's Canada. Canada is, that. is taking the, the polar opposite of uh, the U.S. or the EPA's method of, of enforcing this stuff. So Canada is very big on the uh, the roadside checks. Yep. And if your vehicle doesn't pass, they will pull your license plates and tow yep. the car until your vehicle passes. I've had guys, they're oh. driving out of state, and now they'll get pulled over by a state trooper and uh their their reasoning is is your truck looks the part, yeah. You know, and they'll do an, an you know an inspection, you know, a visual look underneath the truck and just do that once over. And I've heard of some pretty decent fines, you I know, mean, coming from that stuff. And their argument is, well, I'm not from this state. <laughs> okay, well, are you from the country? Because yeah. it's a federal law. And well, are you and driving you know, on our roads? Right. That, there, there's the one too. It's like if you've ever gotten whacked for window tent. And they get out that stupid measurement tool to test, yeah. test how Which is how always deep a couple percent is. darker than what it's actually, you know, it's like they, those things are vague. Roll down, roll down your window so you can incriminate yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, this is why, like, on a lot of this stuff, it it just comes down to, like, where are you? What are you using the truck for? Yeah. What are you going to do with the truck? There's a lot of gray areas. And I think that's that's one of the things the RPM Act really seeks to do is put some clear definitions around competition only. Now, I think we've all heard a lot of the push and pull around what this could mean for the industry, especially the diesel industry. Right. Um, my opinion is not as much as some would hope. Yeah. No, that, that's I would agree with you 100%, Paul. I think the biggest outcry as far as the diesel industry is is these companies want to keep producing the parts that they're producing or have been producing for the last 10 years, right? Because let's face it, it brings a lot of money in the industry. Um, it's profitable. It is That's profitable. why they want to do it. Yes, but the RPM Act is not going to allow you to continue to produce uh, an exhaust that deletes emissions or a Y-bridge kit or you know anything. Headers on a gas Headers engine. Headers on a gas engine, cat deletes, all that stuff. stuff like it, that. it doesn't give you the right to do that. And that was actually one of the topics of the meeting I was at at PRI this weekend um, with PRI and um, the attorney from SEMA and Peter from SEMA um, was just talking about the it comes down to numbers of like hey it's for competition use right you could produce X amount of them um, but there's no there's no number that they say is okay right so yeah. you could say hey I'm gonna sell 10 delete tunes a year for competition use only right and the EPA could still come in and say well 
you know, tens a lot, you know, yeah. and tens too much. Three was know? what we were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It, and you don't, it's a guessing game because you don't know up front. They didn't give you a quota to fill. Exactly. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there's no outline to that. Um, and I guess going back a little bit further, uh, two years ago, I, w I had the, the luxury of going down to SEMA and they did a meeting with the guys from SEMA Garage, CARB and the EPA. So yeah. you kind of had all, all the big guys in the same room answering questions back and forth. And it was, you know, oh, you know, we've never enforced going after a race car, you know, if, if it's not plated, if it's not insured, you're good, you know. Um, but again, there's no law that protects you and says, hey, we're not going to enforce that. Well, yeah, and it's funny how they phrase that, too, because when I saw the phrasing on that, uh, and there actually there was, when this first when this first got submitted to, to Congress, it gets kicked down to a subcommittee, subcommittee on the environment, right, because it has to do with the Clean Air Act. So essentially what the RPM Act is, is it's saying we're going to put some clear definitions out there and we're going to modify the Clean Air Act to give these clear definitions to have exemptions for competition-only vehicles. Um, the main pushback from, from any senators, who, who, who mostly were on one side of the aisle, was that we like this, we want to support this, but it's too vague. So like the initial version that goes up in 2017, there's a really 45-minute long video you guys can jump on and go watch. It was super fun. Um, you said it was really, really, really <laughs> interesting. Uh, not. But... <laughs> but but they actually went through some some back and forth, and that was the complaint was like, hey, your first draft here is, it's too vague, you're stripping the EPA of too much authority, and and one of them was like, came out hard against it and saying like, the EPA has never done this, this is a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. Well, the EPA has never enforced it against an end user. They've never gone to a race car owner at a track and said, we're going to enforce these standards. Right. But what about all of the companies that supplied those parts to be able to build that race well, car? I mean, like, all of those guys have gotten whacked for it. So at what capacity is there a difference of who they've enforced it on? Whether it's a citizen or a company, there's still, there's no clear definition. Well, then you talk about it, too. Let, you know, let, let's look into the, the wider scope of this. You have a company. I don't, I'm not going to mention any company names. Yeah. <clears throat> to Tim's point, you know, they don't give you a certain number, right? Like, oh, I manufactured X amount of headers or, oh, I, I wrote X amount of tunes that year. This, this stuff, the EPA is going or trying to go after guys who are mass producing these certain products where there's no lying. They might have 8 to 10, 20, 30 competition trucks. Sure. They're... These are million-dollar companies. You're not making millions of dollars manufacturing race car parts. Well, there, there you go. And that, now we get into, and, like, verification. Right. So what, what accountability does a company have to verify their products are being sold to a competition-only vehicle? Well, we've already said that the uh, the check this box for off-road use uh, doesn't cut it. I think that ended back in 2013 or yeah, so. Yeah, 2013, 2014. Yeah, That's a 2013, 2014 era. When they first era. started whacking diesels yeah. for delete tunes yeah. was... I mean, was, here, yeah. here's the way I kind of interpret law. Yeah, granted, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing when it comes to this. <laughs> you're not a lawyer. But I'm not. I'm not. Um, but if you're that shop that specializes in that 8 to 10 race vehicles a year, and that's what you do, you're probably not the one freaking out about this. No, and also I want to know if you're only dealing with 8 to 10 vehicles a year. Just God, that sounds like a fun project. Only eight to ten customers a year at the most. I mean, like... you know that there are companies. <laughs> there are companies in this industry that they do play by the rules. There are those companies. Yeah, yeah. You know, guy comes in, they want a carb-approved cold air intake or a carb-approved tune or carb-approved catback exhaust system, and that's where they make their money for an on-road vehicle. But then they have that nasty twenty-five hundred horse, you know, gas, you know, pro mod sitting in the back of the building right. that they use to go to the racetrack to, <laughs> you know, fulfill 
their hobbies and to fulfill the company name. What that person's doing is not illegal. There's right. nothing illegal about that, and it, it follows suit with a lot of what the law is saying. And that's that seems to be who the law is probably mostly favoring with with this th- this new definition. And and so it goes through. They did get a couple. I will say the some of the senators got a few good digs in at some of the OEMs on all of the the Volkswagen scandal and all of that. Well, what do you mean? Who are the biggest delete? Well, who's the biggest delete tuning distributor in the world? Volkswagen. Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> it, it's funny to think when you think back. I mean, Volkswagen was a 2014, 2015 era, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Um, 2015. When you think of Volkswagen in 2015, prior to that in the diesel world, you had the H&Ss, right? Like you, you knew about that. It was there, but it was like, yeah, yeah, it is what sure. it is. Volkswagen delayed the launching of some new vehicles, like the 2.8. Right. When the 2.8 was going to launch. And after the Volkswagen scandal, that was like fuel to the fire when it came to EPA enforcing and regulating. You heard about more shops, more diesel manufacturers. It made it public. Yeah, it was very much. It was was real. It was as opposed to like industry knowledge or like that insider, like, oh, you only know about LML CP4s if you own an LML. Right, right, right. Right, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, wait a minute! Like everybody who has a vehicle, <laughs> hold now my knows drink. About this. <laughs> we got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. The other yeah. ironic thing about the whole VW thing—it's been a couple of years since I've read into this—but from what from what I remember, um, the emissions testing equipment that they caught VW with isn't even certified to do like the carb testing and no, stuff. I mean, no, it, it they're working hack- on certification, but it was like one of those little ride behind uh, it, emissions facilities. It, it was a you know, hack together guy yeah. who worked at like a university yeah. who literally was out testing the equipment and was like oh no this can't be right we got to go back and fix the equipment yeah. Yeah. because there's no way this all is four right. all four wheels are moving <laughs> it's getting more power isn't that crazy to think yeah. about that technology well to think about not only that they hit it those cars so, ran so well too so the <laughs> So Volkswagen, Volkswagen did this really tricky thing, and now they've passed the buck around about who they're blaming right. for the whole thing uh, originating. But anyways, their cars did this really cool thing where if you were on a dyno, they would meet emission standards. and then Steering wheel it. straight. Yeah, steering, steering wheel, wheel straight, straight and not all four tires moving. Yep, yep. Uh, they would meet emission standards. So they would run off of one, one tune file. And then as soon as those parameters change, so in other words, you were your Driving steering wheel moved or you know, your... your all of your all wheels four wheel speed being, sensors are going. Um, boom! All of a sudden, it would run on the tune that the vehicle ran the best at. Let's right. just be real; it ran the best. But the emissions equipment was never built to a a functional point that it would last no. if you ran it at that level. So it's like it's this big. Why? How much could it have cost Volkswagen to just build the better emissions equipment? Compared to how much did they get fined and loss in sales and buybacks? I mean, I mean, they had to buy cars back that were worth less than what they bought them back for. Yeah, like that's yeah. Like, I mean, I drove mine. Like, for, there's no way this ended up being. Profitable. I drove mine for three years. It cost me no money. No, yeah. that's, that's just, what I'm saying. I drove mine too and made money on it. It's in, you know? it's insane to but me I, that that like that decision was made. So, so those but I think are that, the bad apples, right? But I think those like are, that that that's the whole industry, right? Like. You do it for a little bit of time, make a couple bucks. It's like, oh, I got away with it. We're going to run it. You know, like that's Volkswagen had common rail engines. So all of these engines that it affected started in 2009. Yeah. 2009, 2010. They didn't get caught till 2015. Yeah. 2015. When you think of these companies, you know, these companies that are really giving a lot of kickback with this stuff. And granted, there's a ton of different companies that offer support for a bunch of different arenas within the industry as a whole. Right. You have fuel injector companies that are you know, having issues, fabrication shops that offer turbo kits, right? There's all these different pockets within the industry that all have and are voicing their own opinion, you know, 
based off of you know what their concerns are, right? right? But you look at it, these are companies, some of these guys, they've been in the business a very long time. They were doing stuff 10 years ago. They were doing that same thing eight years ago, five years ago, four years ago. They've built a foundation in this industry offering that product that the RPM Act is, is hopefully going to be able to preserve for them because if, if CARB gets in there and, and, and uh, the EPA get in there, like they're not going to be able to have those product offerings anymore. I, I think even with the RPM Act, I think a certain amount of those product offerings and the volume that they're offered at and, and, and what, what is the verification, that was another one of the big arguments that they had had in the subcommittee mm-hmm. was, well, what are we going to do for verification? And, and, and clearly some people are more okay with increased government oversight and right, creating new agencies to go and monitor this. Mm-hmm. And, Blah, blah, blah. Well, we already have this discrepancy of 49 state and 50 state, right? right. So it's like, where does where does now this allowed or legal race car portion f- fit well, in? Right? Who is it for? Well, that, that's my other big question. So who is it? Is it protecting end users, meaning that it only protects end users? So you as a company to provide those products is still illegal because yeah. you're not in yeah. it. You're not producing it for yourself. It's like there was that big legislation that went on a, a little while ago about like software. Who owns the software right, on your course. phone? Who owns the software on, on your the tractor, vehicles. on your vehicle? Yep, yep, yep. No, that you're licensing the software for free yep. and you're buying the vehicle. It's like, well, that, that question still gets gray yep. as we talk about, is it illegal to sell the products that provide these elite yep. tunes? But it's legal if you build it yourself in your garage and make it happen. I mean, you have is, a, that, is that what this is for? I don't know. This is a just a question. There's a lot of people in this that complicate this whole system, right? When, yeah. when you just made that comment about 59 and 40, uh, 50 and 49 state legal, that really doesn't even exist because yeah. that 50 state legal is the definition of California versus 49 state, California being excluded. But there's 13 other states that have adopted that 50 state law. Yeah. So, you know what I found out, though, from the uh, the PRI meeting? What? Was that is that... The other states that adopted the 50-state law, that is only on new vehicles. It is not really? on, uh, like, you know, us selling a product to them. That is only only applies to new vehicles. That's something that got brought up in the uh, Interesting. Yeah. That, that hasn't been, that hasn't I, been cleared I up think, on your end. I think the other thing, the other part of that is having someone to enforce it, right? Sure, these other states could adopt the 50-state legal. Okay. CARB will enforce it. They've proven it. They will enforce it. You know, where if if it's, hey, you know, North Carolina is going to adopt CARB's regulations, right? Are they going to rely on CARB to enforce North Carolina now? You know, like they would have to have gotcha. their own adoption and stuff like that. So well, see, I've heard I've heard Nevada actually does have local enforcement because Nevada has just same thing is, is the equipment to test at roadside. So if, they, if you fail the phys, a physical inspection or visual inspection in Nevada, you could still be fined. On, wow. on the side of the road. And I know I've heard the same thing up, I want to say, in the Northeast. I don't want to misspeak about New Jersey, Maine, general vicinity, yeah. Yeah. New England. Um, capital. About, about getting... <laughs> U.S. Yeah, capital area. Yeah, yeah, like about getting fines for having deleted trucks on the road. Gotcha. So, so it, it, it's pretty crazy because, like you said, the CARB standards definitely, sure, only apply to new vehicles, but then what is the local enforcement, well, right? That, that that's another good... I had a conversation with a close customer the other day, and he was saying that, you know, uh, as we mentioned earlier, there's not counties that have testing, right? Like there's certain yeah. areas that do and don't. Um, and these guys all run duallys, right? And they go in for state of Illinois, their six-month inspections. Well, a couple guys went to go get their trucks inspected for the next six months, and the state inspector 
killed it because the trucks were deleted. So yeah, it's not an emissions test that the truck needs to pass to be able to hold a plate, but to keep his safety sticker in the state of Illinois, the truck had to be emissions on or at least pass the visual. But is that just some guy on a power trip? Well, I mean, this, well, hold on. They went to three surrounding testing facilities, yeah. state testing facilities, failed every one of them. Interesting. Yeah. And then we hear about other guys in Wisconsin who roll through deleted and no problem. Well, I mean, I but so, then you so deal where you're at and who you're dealing with. But that's with. one of those things where this wasn't a thing five years ago. Yeah. You didn't hear that five years ago. You didn't hear that seven years ago. Yeah. It's going to become more strict as time progresses. I always say I've never seen a county repeal emission standards. No. I've never seen no. a no. state go backwards and say, you know what? We went too far. We're okay with a little bit more. But then like, you also like, see like. Never goes that way. You go to SEMA, right? In, in Nevada and Vegas. Yeah. They didn't have these like big emissions meetings 10, 15 years ago yeah. like they do now. PRI, PRI has grown leaps and bounds over the last few years. Yeah. And a lot more diesel companies are starting to play along at this trade show or at this event. And now you have the RPM, you know, RPM Act with guys from SEMA Garage and CARB and stuff like that there. Like, it's becoming more and more of a thing, and it's only going to become more of an enforced topic moving yeah. forward. Well, I think it's just what is the standard to go off of. And right now with everybody, CARB is the standard, right? Like, there isn't a gray area with CARB. Right. It's black and white. <laughs> the EPA, it, there's room for this gray area, who's going to enforce it, and how the f enforcement agents work. Like, I, as far as I know and from talking with our lawyers, and other lawyers and just friends in the industry in people's cases, right? You have the, the civil side and you have the criminal side. Um, but you also have these different zones of where the EPA enforcement officers are. Um, and you get, you know, up here in the Midwest, um, you know, the EPA uh, enforcement guys, they'll come by, they'll take a look at what you're doing. They might hand you some paperwork. They might do whatever. In other parts of the country, they'll come out on the criminal side and they'll be guns loaded in the middle of the night. At We've seen those videos. Hands up. Remember, yep. we, we interviewed Mike Hanzik yep. out of Alaska, yeah. the last place I thought that they would, they rolled in with with officers, yep. and, and like not like guns drawn, no. but like rolled in with officers and said, okay, put everything down, everybody get out, yep. we're doing. But what is the what is the standard for that, right? Like what is what is overreach and what is underreach? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, but how is that one one EPA and uh, agent right versus another EPA agent? They're not working unison across no. the board. You know, just I feel like doing this today, so we're going to go and we're going to react this way. And I think that's what, like, everyone is grabbing on to this RPM Act for, not necessarily because of the EPA or the CARB or the deleted trucks or whatever, but the RPM Act is the first step at a guideline to allowing people to make performance parts. Well, and what's interesting about that is if we take a look at the actual current RPM Act, so... so goes through subcommittee like we talked okay. about. It gets voted in, it's like 13 to nine. So it gets voted in, so they're like, okay, it's gonna go to, to Congress. Like now okay. it's a bill, now it can become a law. They changed the numbers on it. I don't And this is just this last this year, right? Yeah, this is this is May 17th That's of 2021. Uh, it actually goes in and, and gets presented. Um, in the summary here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this so we get it right, guys. Um, Focus your eyes, Paul. I know, it's, it's these old <laughs> eyes zoning in here. All right. Recognizing the Protection of Motorsports Act of 2019 or RPM Act of 2019. This bill authorizes the modification of vehicles, air emissions controls for vehicles that are not legal for operation on a street or highway and used and are used solely for competition. That, that's the full summary. The entire bill now is two paragraphs long. It, okay. it is modifying, I think, three provisions or maybe just one provision 
within the Clean Air Act. Okay. It is very, very clear. Here, here's the big change that I noticed that they made. You guys, everybody go out there and look this up for themselves. Um, they very clearly defined not legal for being on the road. road like yes. your competition-only vehicle also means that it is not legal to be on the road. So they, they really clarify that. And the original, I think they wrote something to the effect of like competition-only vehicle and other purposes, which seemed like a big gaping hole for anybody well, who wanted to explore. The other, so I understand why there was pushback from anybody who wanted to, right? And the other purposes, I, I would say, you know, then you get into this drag week and Rocky Mountain Race Week. Like, those are two of the biggest race events of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. And they are competition use vehicles, yeah. right? But what's, what's the catch? What's the catch there, Paul? They go from the track, they load up, they change their tires, they take that same race, 2,000, 3,000 horse. There are street classes too, yeah, yeah. but they drive it to the next track. Right. That's, that's the issue. Well, yeah. then that falls into maybe those vehicles are outside of the statue of how many years, right? Like, a 1985 vehicle that has whatever, like then you get into that gritty area. Well, I think so uh, we're, we're still, because when you're at a 2,000 horsepower tra vehicle that's allowed to run on the track, that's allowed to run those times at the track, you likely have violated a whole lot of other street legal laws, <laughs> yeah. right? Like to get there and to do that, you have do you to mean, have a Paul? chassis that's certified <laughs> right, right. to not have crumple zones. Right. So, but to be fiberglass, road, fiberglass fiber, body, you know, just all the crazy right. stuff. All the stuff that's not not allowed on a street right. legal road. So you're already that competition and things like that. Like the, the days of those drives, I love those. I'm not. I'm yeah. not saying that I want to see those go. What I'm saying is, the way this sounds. And I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a politician, but the way this sounds is that this specific act was not weighing in on that, that portion of the world. Not that. This specific act is weighing in very, very narrow audience of those who have a legit, I trailer it from my garage to the track, right. and that is all this vehicle is for. This would give those people a very clear legal basis to modify their vehicles in whatever way they saw fit without worry about the EPA. Like I said, there's still a lot of other shit they could do that's illegal, right? But, <laughs> yeah. And my, my biggest thing to point out here is that it, this isn't going to save the delete world, no, right? No, and, no. like, how is that going to help my small business, right, Paul? Let's it's, say I have a small business. You know, I, I make 20, 30 turbo kits a year. I do some some small competition use tuning. Yeah. Right? That's not going to help me. This does nothing for that no. group. No. No, if you're, if you're that guy... The, the RPM Act is not necessarily designed to help you, but but I think you made a good point about it being a first step, about mm -hmm. it being putting some clear definitions out there about some very specific categories. Uh, so if you guys want to look this up, definitely I found all of the details over at congress.gov. Um, I just searched new RPM Act. It was the RPM Act of 2019, <laughs> so I didn't do any wild research here this stuff's all very very short. available. Don't sell yourself short. Um, another excellent resource is definitely SEMA. Uh, so SEMA, if you Google SEMA RPM Act, they have the best explanations. They have an amazing set of FAQs to walk you through everything. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other tools that they offer on their site here at the end. I thought they, they asked and answered a couple of questions. Tim, I thought maybe you could help us out with a few of these. Yeah. Um, first of all, anybody who doesn't know, can you just give us like a quick, like brief overview of the Clean Air Act? Um, do you want the word for word? No. <laughs> just, just a general idea. Uh, the Clean what Air Act came about, about in, in 1970, um, more or less just to address air pollution, right? Um, and in my opinion, I think clear, Clean Air Act, and I think California. 
right? Yep. Um, that's just kind of what comes to mind. Um, so you have a, raw, a law written in 1970 about the Clean Air Act and pollution in, in these vehicles. How, how does that correspond to me 45, 50 years later? Now, that's the problem we're dealing with with the Clean Air Act. And that's what CARB has gone and done with these new tests, these, yeah. this USO6 test and these things, and, and address that newer testing or for the newer vehicles. Um, the problem is, but if we're relying on the Clean Air Act uh, for EPA standard or FTP testing, it was it was written in 1970. Yeah. You know? It was written from for my '69 Chevelle, and that was it. I don't actually have a '69 Chevelle, but wish I did. But I'm, I'm willing to. Um, and I'll work um, accepting donations here at the podcast. No. Just yeah, yeah. No, okay, yeah. I think that's really well put, right? So, so the, there's a lot of studies. Smog is bad. Air pollution is bad. All the way around. There's all these different things that contribute to it. Yeah. Boom. Clean Air Act comes out. They say things are getting better. We're just going to go off of that and say, okay, uh, now now we've seen some updates. Now we have different departments volleying for position, volleying for definitions, trying to say yes, this, no, that. You, you know, and, and as things also have gone fifty years now, we're, there's a lot more questions that have come up. There's a lot. There's the industry has evolved. <laughs> there's a bigger industry with more vehicles and more people in the mix too. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. Um, how much of a of an impact do we know that like competition actually has on the environment? Is it is going out drag racing or going out for a sled pull bad for the environment? Very very small, I would say. Actually, again, at this meeting this last this last week, PRI, PRI used an example of um, the Indy 500, right? Uh, for however many hours that is, however many vehicles, yeah. running nonstop that whole event, right? The Indy 500 uses the equivalent either equivalent or less fuel than going on an airplane from miami to california just one way <laughs> just one way not not your round trip right. for your vacation right? right just one way so um and, and the flip side of that is i i know again two years ago at at sema um, when they did their meeting uh, the epa or carb came out with a slide and it showed what a deleted vehicle did compared to a non-deleted one and yeah. it was something like 27 times you know a deleted vehicle put out 27 times the amount that a standard one did um so there's back and forth there, right? There is, there um, is. But the actual motorsports racing Indy 500 stuff, very little to no impact on uh, on the environment. Yeah, yeah. Even California has a provision um, specifically. So, so it's ironic we're talking about CARB and EPA and how CARB generally is a higher set of standards, and that's why EPA accepts right. any CARB standard. That's just like the kind of the given. Um, but even in California, they they have created a specific code that allows for competition-only vehicles. So even CARB has come out and said, like, no, 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 competition-only vehicles, not a problem. Yeah. They're allowed in California. You I, can, I can't read it exactly, yeah. but something with little little to no impact yeah. is what they, is exactly. what they say. Exactly. Um, okay, and then uh, the last thing, uh, like I said, guys, I want to talk about that SEMA page. I was telling you guys, I checked out the SEMA RPM page, yeah. and it gives you a very brief overview of what the RPM Act is probably a little bit stronger language than what I was expecting to see where it's like save the race cars and you know it's very very do something now yeah um, but what's awesome is it has a tool on the side where you can see what senators and Congress people have not supported it have not co-sponsored which by the way the current bill has like 107 co-sponsors 117 co-sponsors 90 Republicans and 27 Democrats which is probably one of the most bipartisan things I've seen in a long time yeah. so like every 
most people want this. I mean, yeah. that's a lot, right? Um, but they have a list of everybody who hasn't co-sponsored it, and they have an automated messenger system where you can send them three messages like automatically. Uh, they have it all pre-written. You just fill it out and kind of click and select which ones and put in your info for, for any back and forth. what happens when a lawyer and a marketing guy get together, huh? <laughs> it's, it's a brutal way to harass a politician, <laughs> and I love it. Uh, I, I couldn't support it more. So please jump out, stop right now, go Google SEMA RPM, SEMA S-E-M-A, RPM Act. Um, it's a great first step. And that's it, the biggest thing. It's it a great really first is. step. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... That's the long and short of it. Anything that you wanted to cover about the RPM Act that we didn't dive into yet, Tim? Nothing specifically about the RPM Act. I, I think the biggest thing is is more or less these small businesses, these startup businesses, these companies that don't have the ten dollars or $20,000 a vehicle to go get tested. Those are the guys that are really going to be impacted by this or even, even as it is now, not by the RPM yeah. Act, but just how the industry is. Um, and it's going to affect the installers and those shops. Exactly. I mean, and that's, that's, that's the biggest questions I, I see from people is how, how am I protected as the installer, right? Yeah. Um, if, if I buy, you know, so-and-so's header, so-and-so's tunes, so-and-so's intake, and I bolt those all on the truck and maybe I tune it on my dyno or whatever, how does that impact me? Or how can I make sure the EPA is not going to come knock on my door? Yeah. Um, and, and the biggest thing I'll, I'll leave you guys with is, is that's kind of on us at this point, uh, the, the people selling the product uh, to go get the stuff tested. So you can take our tuning, you can take our, you know, you can take another person's intake that's carb certified and, and you use those carb certified parts and, and bolt them together. Um, so as you guys, your small businesses are out there, you know, reach out to these vendors, uh, these tuners, these bigger shops about the products that you guys use and ask them about their carb certification or their 49 state certification process. Um, you know, we've uh, we've done our own testing. We've done testing with SEMA Garage. They've been awesome. Um, SEMA is working on a new a, a new product, I guess you'd call it. Come January of 2020, they're going to be doing the SEMA certified project. Yeah. Um, that isn't going to be CARB certified, but they are going to put their stamp on it as 49 state. Um, and more or less, like if someone has a problem with it, you come, you can you can use their attorneys, and they'll help you. Um, you know, if you were ever to go down that path. So that's awesome. um, again, it's, it's, ex, it's expensive, yeah. right? And that's the biggest thing is it's expensive, but at least there are these companies that are, are starting we're to stand out resources and, and, and stick their systems. neck out. So absolutely. That's well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah, man. Guys stick around. We're going to have more diesel performance podcasts coming at you in just a second. Hey guys, we're back with our remote support expert, Sean Lynn. Sean, how the hell are you? Not bad. How are you, Paul? I'm doing good. Doing good, Sean. Uh, Sean, you come on to, to kind of share one of your experiences dealing with some of the questions you get every day working over as a customer service expert with Duramax Tuner. Uh, today, I think we're going to hit kind of a broader topic maybe instead of just a specific scenario. So what have you been getting a lot of questions about on the phone lately? Well, since we had our big Black Friday sale and Cyber Monday, of course, um, we had a number of people calling in with switch issues, like guys tuning the trucks for the first time, and they've installed their switches, and they're just not sure if they're actually feeling a difference or if it's even functioning properly. Oh, man, switch diagnostics. Now, recently I worked with Nick Pregnitz over at Duramax Tuner on a advanced DSP diagnostics video. Uh, so we went through some of the, the tougher ones once we get through some of those basic kind of over-the-phone troubleshootings. 
And then I know last week you and I, or I'm sorry, you went and did the switch fix on that Hummer uh, with the Duramax conversion that we got. Okay, um, I like it. So we've been talking a lot about switches lately, and that's okay because it's a big portion of what, especially guys who are new to diesel tuning, deal with. Uh, what kind of problems have your uh, your customers been running into? Typically, it's, you know, guys spending all day trying to figure out why the switch isn't working. He's driving around, playing with the switch, not feeling a difference kind of thing. And from there, I just kind of have to make sure, first of all, was the tune loaded, you know, and then which pins did you wire these into? Yeah, was the tune loaded? That's a that's a tough one to tell. So if I'm a, an LLY customer and I bought a spade, so I have the EFI Live hardware with the tunes loaded on it, how do I know if I flash the tune on there? So basically the first time around, you have to do a full flash or pretty much every time. It'll ask you to license the controller when you're actually flashing it. It's like a five minute process or so to actually flash it and then it'll say tune file loaded successfully. If you did not sit through a five minute flash for just the engine and then a several minute flash process for the trans, then chances are the files did not get loaded. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, easy way is you can go back and flash it again. Uh, that generally is just a, a good double check to make sure you likely are not gonna hurt anything or have any problems. Uh, if you go back and flash it, it just won't ask you to license it twice. So that'd be the only real difference there. Uh, what else? What do you go through next? So if I've successfully flashed it, but I'm spinning the dial, I only got five positions, but I don't feel a difference. What would I do next? Um, based on that information, we pretty much determine like which pins you wired this into. Um, then we would, from there, do a data log, a live data log, as I like to call it. And it'll actually tell us if we are changing power levels or we are not. That's such a nice functional feature there on, on the AutoCal or the Spade unit, as uh, so you can actually go in to see live data and then flip over to your DSP pad. Uh, so it'll actually tell you, okay, I rotated the switch. Yes, it's recognizing the switch. Now, if you don't see it rotating, if you don't see it moving off of non-DSP, um, you have not wired the switch in correctly. So either the pins aren't all the way seated or they're in the wrong spots. So that's a, an, an easy fix to be able to find that out. Awesome. Anything else, any other problems that you run into with switch installs? Yeah, I mean, the first time I ever did an LLY switch, I didn't push the pins in all the way. So I like to test drive, or I like to do the data log before I actually drive the truck just to ensure that I think everything is correct there. And the issue that I actually had the first time around was I did not push the pins in all the way, so it was not making contact, and it said non-DSP the entire time. Yep. It says non-DSP when it thinks it's in two number one, or the switch is not actually connected properly. Yeah, yeah, that's totally correct. That can be a frustrating one, too, because you've got the pins in the right spot, so upon initial inspection, you look at it and you say, good, and you tug on the wires, and the wires feel like they're locked in there with the lock pin, and you, you move on, right? You think, hey, nailed it. Uh, but sometimes you do need to take that lock pin out, uh, test it, retest it, flip it over on the bottom, see if you can see the pin seated out on the bottom. You should see the round peg in the square hole. Um, so some of those are, are good ways to just verify continuity. Uh, and then, of course, you can get out some more advanced tools, test continuity. Some of the switches do have a continuity light on the back. Uh, so you can look on the back of it, on the back of the circuit board, and there's a little light that'll light up. Uh, if you do have, at least it's seated all the way in the ECM harness. That light won't tell you if they're in the right pins, uh, but it will let you know if it's making contact, so. Yeah, I mean, 
people will look at that light and say, well, is this supposed to flash or change when I'm rotating the switch? Well, we don't really use it for that, at least not on the Duramaxes. It's more of just a power check, like, hey, am I getting power through this switch? And for me, in that exact instance, I was not getting any lights at all. Yeah. And so when I went back in, flipped the connector over to make sure all the pins were fully seated, sure as shit, those two switch pins <laughs> were not all the way in. So I, I had to push them, honestly, pretty hard, harder than I thought. That's why I didn't uh, think anything of it during the actual um, install itself. Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing some information about switch installs. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. No problem. Uh, guys, stick around. We're going to have Jeremy Garnett on next uh, and talk with our super tech about something going on in the shop. All right, guys, we're here with Jeremy Garnett, our super tech over in the shop at uh, Calibrated Power Duramax Tuner. Jeremy, how the hell are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, we just had the holiday Christmas party. We're back in here yeah. this week, uh, shaking off the hangover from the food and the booze. Um, and I know you are at the tail end of a very, very long project. Yes. Uh, almost uh, 10 months, 8 months, 8 months, 9 oh, months. Oh, man. Now, some of those longer projects as a mechanic, do you get to the point where you're just bored of showing up and seeing the vehicle here every day? Uh, not at this point. Uh, in, in, in the middle. <laughs> in the middle, right, right. <laughs> there, there is a time in those longer yes. projects where it's just, oh, we're done. Uh, well, hey, give our viewers a rundown. Um, what What is the project we're talking about? Uh, we talked about it a little bit in the past, but uh, now it's, we'll dig into it a little bit more about it. So, uh, 2005 H1 Hummer um, came in with the stock 6.5, um, big tires, stock 6.5, 180, 200 horsepower, yeah. couldn't get out of its own way, and customer says, I want a Duramax, <laughs> and I want it to go fast. <laughs> so um, we put a LBZ in it with an Allison behind it, and put some nice big injectors in it and a nice pump, and yeah, it's got to drive her today, actually. That's a recipe for fun right there, man. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about H1. It's, it's the civilian dress, so it's got like yeah. leather seats and it's got carpeting, so it's the more sound dampening than, than your regular like military exactly. spec yep. one. It's uh, everything under the hood and under the body is identical. Uh, interior is civilian use. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which, which is nice. You don't, like, if you, if you want to own these to drive them on the road and, right. like, enjoy it, you don't want the straight military spec one. It, no, it's no. almost unusable. Well, we have one in the shop right now. Yeah. And they are totally different. They're just, they're so loud that you can't think yeah. inside of them. It, it's... You can't talk to the guy next to you. No. And, yeah. and turning, parking, anything like that right. is also, <laughs> it's problematic. They're yes. not built, they're not designed to be great at driving on the road. No. Right? They're designed for having... <laughs> for doing something very practical off the road. Right. Um, but yeah, like if you want one for fun, for to enjoy it, you want one like this. Yes. Well, that's, plus that's what we did to it. We we took the original and we made it better. Right. So, right. I mean, we, we, we just made it a lot better. <laughs> so we went from, you know, I mean, you could take these things anywhere when they're stock, but now the single go even further. Right. So. Right. Now, getting the, the Duramax in there, what weighs more, 6.5 or, or a 6.6 Duramax? Uh, it's about the same. Okay. Um, but I took a lot of parts off. And then, so we actually, uh, the truck will actually weigh less when it leaves. Really? Um, because we actually took a lot less stuff off. Okay. Or um, a lot more off, and then we put a lot less on. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, we, a lot less exhaust work, a lot less, you know, uh, we went from two fuel tanks to one. Uh, okay. You know, stuff, I mean, eight pounds, that's a big fuel tank back yeah. there. So, yeah. um, stuff like that. 
But then, you know, I put these monster lower control arms on it, though. Oh, right. So, but those actually weigh a little bit less than the, that factory spring that weighs 200 pounds. Okay. So, because okay. we went to that king suspension. Right, so. yeah, the suspension on this one is really cool because he went, the, the customer went all out with yeah. it, right? Yeah, like yes, he, he got the, the best brakes that could possibly be gotten for yep. this. And, <laughs> and got the best suspension that could possibly be put on it. And it, the stance is perfect. Oh, yeah. Like, I really think this is dialed in on the look that you want to achieve too with one of these. Yeah, just got that little bit of you drop in the front, raised in the rear a little bit. Yeah. yeah it's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about performance? So LBZ went into it a little bit bigger of injectors. Do you know how big of injectors and pump? Uh, we actually went with just the 60s. Okay. Uh, just, uh, just 60 overs and then we went with the 10 mil pump. Um, and then we put the same tune in it that we have in our Hummer, our white Hummer. Right. Um, so. Ours, we figure, is right around 800, 750, 800. All right. Um, but yeah, same setup almost. Okay. So. And then uh, Stealth 67? Yep, yeah, with the 67. Nice. So, uh, nice whistle that you could just hear. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, builds tons of boost, 35 pounds of boost. And, and nothing. Just nothing. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, guys, I think what's going to be really crucial here is. I Think we're gonna have to get this on camera and get yeah. out on the road and really drive this. I thing. think so too. <laughs> so, so right now, just today, the truck got dropped off for an alignment. Uh, no problem. Uh, we're gonna get Jeremy in the truck. We're gonna get some cameras on him. We're gonna get out on the road, and I think that's gonna be our next ride along video. Yeah. Uh, is putting you behind the wheel and talking about this build that's been eight to ten months of time, countless number of hours. Yeah. Uh, and just a really, really cool project overall. I think so, too. It'll be fun. Absolutely. Well, hey, guys, uh, make sure to, to like and subscribe on all platforms. We'd really appreciate that. A good review on iTunes or on YouTube goes a long way for us as well. For today, this has been Paul Wilson. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, guys, industry news. Anthony, how are you? Good, man. How are you? Uh, you made it back safely from PRI. Safe and sound. Smiling, all oh, yeah. giddy. <laughs> Ready to go. Ready to be back. Happy to be back, I should say. We had a lot of fun. So I'll just, from an outsider looking in, going through social media and stuff like that, PRI definitely was a little different this year than what I've seen in years past. Yeah. A lot of, a lot more diesel expos, a lot more diesel companies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So being a spectator there and having a full day free off work, right, where you got to enjoy... Not everyone was finer, happy about that. But. <laughs> having the finer things of life. What's your take on the on PRI 2021? It was a lot of fun. Um, from someone who, again, has seen it on social media, yeah. has never attended something. We, we go to UCC. I mean, that's like a diesel-specific event. DPI Expo, right? Exactly. Um, I've never been to something like this before, so it was nice to be able to see it from a spectator event. Okay. Um, similar to how you, what you said, um, uh, more diesel, I should say, involved this year. Um, there was a lot of, I mean, gas, very heavy. That's well, gas, that's what PRI has yeah, naturally been over the years. That's what the show is. Diesel, uh, fleece, um, HP Tuners was there. I know okay. they do a lot of gas, gas stuff. But um, BD, fleece, um, there's a lot of S&S was yeah. there as well. Um, RevMax, we talked with the guys at RevMax for a little yeah. bit. Um, GDP, and I think we're going to touch on this a little bit as well, um, had a serviceable DPF setup right. there. I've been hearing about that over the last couple of years. There's something that they had in the works, and you're starting to kind of see them. They're on their websites. They're available. Uh, canister is bigger. 
Yeah, right. they have uh, kind of a couple high flow units. They had a couple on display um, of their high flow ones. They didn't have stock ones next to it, but just, I mean, if you look under your truck right, and you see just what they're offering, right. you can tell right away. Um, another highlight just on them alone was um, they have not only a service that they offer where you can send them DPFs, they are going to, I mean, just call it an oven. They are going to give guys the opportunity to have that in house. So I have a couple dealers where when they get trucks in, like they're servicing DPFs, they do it in-house. So they're gonna give you the ability to have that um, hardware in-house as well, if that's something you know, guys are gonna grow into. Nice. But uh, it's nice to see that, I mean, if you were to tell someone, hey, 10 years ago, you know, five, let's call it five, six years ago, hey, we're gonna do DPF servicing. Like that was not a right. common deal. Um, definitely come a long way, and it's nice to see that in an event like this, given everything well, going on. And I think the way the, the GDP uh, filter is designed, it's a V-band style connection, so it's easily able to come in and out of the exhaust versus some of the factory systems there welded, bolted, you know, in a, in a unique position where it is a little harder to service. Yeah. So, you know, that always comes in handy as far as that goes. Absolutely, because, I mean, you look at a stock when, like, it's built to be put together and put under the truck. Right, of course. You don't really run see, it. Yeah, yeah, and then, like, that's it. But they had it in three different sections. So if you buy one of the high-flow ones, it's time to get service. Like, you send it, they take it apart. It's kind of a super easy to do, I should say, nice. which is very cool. I'm trying to think a couple other things that I saw there. I know we talked to RevMax. Um, RevMax has always been a big part of the brand and the company for a while. You've got it in your truck. Um, nice to see a lot of those parts in person. Like I've seen the trans is fully built yeah. and everything. They had some cutaways. Talked to a gentleman there for you know, 10, 15 minutes with him. And it's just nice to talk to these guys on the phone, but make that personal connection, chat right. with them for a little bit. Um, he shot the shit, asked about your trans as well. So. Um, nice to see them. A couple other big faces I saw more on the gas side of things. Aaron Kaufman from Gas Monkey Garage. Oh, very cool. Was was there? Damn, so you were hanging out with celebrities. I was, I was <laughs> hanging out behind celebrities. I, I didn't have the balls to go talk to him. He was talking with everybody. Um, Jeff Lutz from Street Outlaws was there. Very cool. He's got that Bel Air Pro mod, which is very fast. Um, he was getting interviewed by a handful of people. Cletus McFarlane. Okay. He had Ruby his Corvette and Mullet the uh, El Camino was there. Okay. Both cars are nasty yeah. on display. Um, and then another side that I, I saw was going to be there, but they had a whole machining center. Okay. So, like, we've got the whole stealth turbo apartment. I mean, it's half the building when you go downstairs. It was, I mean, they had CNC machines on display, different uh, plasma cutting tables. Yeah. I mean, just they take up. That's a big staple in this industry. Yeah. You know, you need those machines to manufacture the parts that we use and to install on our trucks. Yeah, the custom, it's definitely the fabrication side of things was yeah. real heavy, heavy. I knew it was going to be there, but it was neat to see it on that scale, I should okay. say. Um, and another highlight that I thought was cool, right, so being in India, Indianapolis, um, you had Lucas Oil Stadium right there right. where the Colts play. You go under the tunnel by the convention center, you're right out on the field, and they had trailers, RVs, a bunch of different stuff there as oh, well really? for hauling, hauling the race cars. <laughs> um, we talked about a couple heavy-duty tunes with a couple of the guys yeah. there as well, which was neat opportunity to yeah. be able to get out, make that personal right connection. There, right there, And see that firsthand as well. Very cool. A lot of fun. Nice. I'm jealous. Yeah. I wish I was there. Maybe next year you'll yeah. all be able to go. Uh, but that's good insight. You know, it's definitely, uh, like I mentioned, uh, years past, there wasn't a lot of diesel uh, expo or displays uh, there. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this year a couple companies threw their hats in the ring and were like, hey, we're going to you know, attend the PRI Expo and, and kind of do that. So it's interesting to see what years, you know, moving forward, what that brings and you know, everything, uh, I know you guys went for the RPM Act, which Paul and I were kind of diving into with Tim earlier. Um, you know, what that all brings to the table moving forward. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So. It was nice because they had sizable booths as well. I mean, you've got a lot of small shops there that had, you know, kind of little crevices. Yeah, yeah. Um, but seeing the guys that we work with on a day-to-day -day in an uh, event that's not so much diesel-driven, to have a sizable area that they're taking up of course. and seeing people flowing through there was very cool. Nice. Well, we appreciate you and, you know, look forward to next week. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Yep. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. How do I fucking start this segment? Okay. Uh, okay, got it.